Presented by the United States Sentencing Commission, this is Sentencing Practice Talk, a regular podcast for federal sentencing practitioners covering topics of interest. Here are your hosts, Ebisay Biyisa and Krista Rubin. Ebisay. Yes. <laughs> I'm afraid of what you're going to ask me. <laughs> so the force clause for both the definition of crime of violence under the guidelines and the definition of violent felony under the ACCA statute is the same. Yes. Oh, thank God. I knew the answer. <laughs> yes, it is the same. It's so the same. I think that makes it a little easy because it's a nice place to, I mean, it's an easy place to start um, because it talks about, it has the same thing, right? The element, uh, the prior conviction must have as an element the use of force, attempted use, or threatened use of physical force against the person of another. So, key point that I always forget sometimes is that it's not just the use of force, it has to be the use of force against a person. Right. And that's actually different from another definition of crime of violence under the statute. Yep, 924C actually can be force against person or property. Right. So all the more reason to print out both the statute of conviction and the definition you're trying to match it with. Because they are different, and sometimes you think you know it, but all the more reason to print it out and just make sure you're looking at the right statute. So when we talk about the force clause under both ACCA and career offender, it's got to be force against a person. That's right. And so the, the key, really, to this analysis of whether a statute of conviction contains as an element the use, attempted use, or threatened use of physical force against the person of another really is what does force mean, yes, right? that's right. And again, so much of the categorical approach is, you know, comes out of Supreme Court case law um, and not, you know, common sense or what other people think is force, right? And I think when we're doing the categorical approach and we're looking at the force clause, it's important to remember that force, I want you to put force in quotation marks, because in this case, the word force, it's like a term of art. It actually means something very specific. Right. Um, and the definition of force comes out of a Supreme Court call, Johnson versus United States, that came out in 2010. We call that Johnson 1. Right. There's another Johnson case came out later. But in this case, we're going to call it Johnson 1. Yes. And in Johnson 1, so that's why sometimes you'll hear people call it Johnson force, right? right? Because they're trying to talk about a specific kind of force, the definition of force here in the force clause. So Johnson 1 was a case about a Florida battery. And the issue was, all right, Johnson had a prior conviction for battery in Florida. If it counted as a crime of violence under the force clause, he would have been ACCA. He would have gone from max of 10 to mandatory 15. Right. Right. So again, the Supreme Court's like, we got to get it right. So the Supreme Court says, look, when you see the word force in the categorical approach, it means a specific kind of force. Right. It means violent force. Right violent and a sub that has a substantial degree of force. Force capable of causing physical pain or injury to another, okay? So 
Johnson force isn't unwanted touching. Right. Okay? It is not even light force, like maybe shoving somebody, right? Force capable of causing physical pain or injury to another. And remember, that has to be the element. Right. Okay. If I remember correctly, in Johnson, the way he committed that battery was one of those, wow, the facts are terrible. This sure does sound violent to me kind of crime. Yes. Right? Agreed. But again, the Supreme Court said, look, we're talking about the categorical approach. So we're going to put aside how this defendant, how Mr. Johnson committed his offense. And we're going to look only at the statute of conviction. Right. So they looked at the statute of conviction and then they said, okay, we know how Johnson did this crime. But what are the elements of this crime? And what they found was that Florida battery included unwanted touching. And unwanted touching is not force capable of causing physical pain or injury to another. Right? Right. So Johnson's battery got kicked out and he did not get 15 years. So let's go a little bit deeper into how we determine whether a particular statute involves Johnson force, right? Right. Um, so how do we know if a statute requires the level of force that the Supreme Court told us about in Johnson 1? I mean, what if the statute doesn't on its face say violent force or force capable of causing physical pain? Sure. Sometimes it just says force or forcefully. Right. Right. And we're trying to figure out, hey, is this the same force? So there's a few, I think in my mind, I always try to go back to Johnson and think about, you know, Johnson force. So remember, Johnson force has to be violent, right, a substantial degree of force. It's got to be physical, like force capable of causing physical pain or injury to a person. Right. Okay. Something more than de minimis force. Um, more than unwanted touching. De minimis, I mean a little bit, like a shove or maybe pushing somebody away or, you know, hitting, like slapping them lightly. Right. right on their arm. Right. Um, and I think when I first started teaching this, I would always say, oh, it's got to be intentional force, right? Right. And I always say, not recklessly, not negligently. And without going into all of the case law on this, I will say this, that the issue of whether force has to be intentional or whether recklessness is sufficient, I think is a matter of, there's a huge circuit split on it. Okay. And so I would caution people to work with, if you're an attorney, look at the cases in your circuit. If you want a good primer, I know we've got some of the cases on our case law concierge. Yes. But the issue of um, the mens rea mm -hmm. is one that's been coming up a lot. Maybe the Supreme Court will solve it, but keep that in your mind. Generally speaking, you need something more than negligent. Right. right? Usually intentional, maybe recklessness applies. Right. Okay. So you're thinking of somebody doing something purposefully. Right. Um, trying to cause force, right? And, and using enough physical force to cause pain or injury. And I think sort of, I think to go back to your question, which is, okay, so I've got this statute and all it says is battery or assault 
Or maybe it just has the word force in it. How am I supposed to figure out if this force is the same as Johnson force? Right, because as we've been saying, <laughs> the facts don't matter. Right. So how do we know if, this, if the elements of this statute require that force? And this is where I think everybody's got to put in a little bit of elbow grease, right? Because it requires a little bit of work. In order to figure out, so let me go back. We know from the categorical approach that we care about elements, right? Elements are the necessary part of the crime, right? right. So back in Florida, right? And Johnson, it was that Florida battery. Um, if violent force was an element of the offense, right? That, that means that every single person convicted of battery in Florida would have necessarily used that Johnson type force. Right. Right? Because that's what it means to be an element. It's the necessary part of the offense. And the reason that Johnson, right, and Johnson won, won his case, right, and the Supreme Court ruled with him, is because they looked to see, well, how have other people been convicted of this offense, right? So I'm going to throw out a term and then I will explain it to you. The term I want people to remember is something called least culpable conduct okay. or most innocent conduct, Okay. right? And I want you to think of that as what is the most innocent way somebody could commit this offense of battery, okay? What's like the least that a person has to do to be convicted of that offense? And so how do we find that out? Okay, this is the part where everybody's going to throw up their hands. <laughs> You're going to have to do case law research on the particular statute, right? So let's go back to Johnson. Johnson won. So they're talking about a Florida battery statute. And they said, all right, well, we know how Mr. Johnson committed his offense. No question. That was forceful, right? But that's just one person. Maybe there is more, they want to figure out what is the most innocent conduct. So the Supreme Court looked up the Florida battery statute and it actually looked to see in Florida, in the state, what conduct has gotten people convicted of that offense. Okay. Okay. So you've got to look up the state statute, do state case law research, and I, they're looking up Supreme Court cases because people appeal, right? right. What they found was, in Florida, there was another person convicted of the same statute, right, that Mr. Johnson was convicted of, but his conduct just involved unwanted touching. And that person appealed and said, come on, unwanted touching can't possibly be a battery, right? And the state Supreme Court in Florida said, oh, no, that's a battery, right? Okay. Unwanted touching is sufficient to get you convicted of that offense. And so what that means then is that, as the Supreme Court said, the Florida battery statute does not involve violent force. Right, doesn't have as an element, right? Because that person who was convicted of battery with unwanted touching, he didn't admit to hitting somebody or using Johnson force, right? Okay. It's not, Johnson force is not necessary for a conviction under Florida battery. Okay. And this 
is time-consuming work. Like, I cannot sugarcoat this. Yeah. It takes time. It takes time. It can be tedious. If it's a state statute that you've never, that you're not experienced with because it's from a different state than the one you practice in, it's a lot of work. Yes. I feel pretty strongly that the people who should be doing this work is not the probation officer. Let me know if you agree. I totally agree. I think this is something that the parties need to be doing. Absolutely. It's a team effort. It is. But this type of research where you're going into the state Supreme Court and you're looking at the facts of the case, that really is something for parties to do. Well, and also I've heard, you know, as we've been training this around the country, Sometimes people also look to the jury instructions for that particular state, yes, right? Yes, that's true. That's, if you can find them, that's another easy way to do it, right? Because it'll tell you, hey, when we say battery, we don't mean beating somebody up. Unwanted touching is sufficient. If you see that, then you know that unwanted touching can get you convicted of that offense, right? Right. And so then it's out. Right. Alternative, they could say unwanted touching is not sufficient. In order to convict this person, you have to show that he intended to use force to cause physical injury to another person. Then it's in. Then it's in. But what I mean to say is that sometimes you have to get out of federal circuit case law and delve into state research. But... So we've been talking a lot about the battery statute, which is great because we've been focusing on Johnson. But maybe we should do another example. Yeah. Uh, One that comes to mind that I am a little bit familiar with is, you know, resisting arrest statutes is the one that comes up a lot, Uh right? Because many times the statute is just written, it is unlawful to resist or impede a lawful arrest, right? Right. What does that mean? And again, sometimes you can, we can, I'm sure you and I could think of, ways that you can resist an arrest violently, right? Absolutely. You can run away. You can try to run the officer over with your car. You can get into a physical altercation with the officer. Right. On the other hand, right, I think that you, I could think of nonviolent ways. Um, And so I know, for example, in the Maryland resisting arrest statute um, is one where it just says, don't resist arrest. It is unlawful to resist arrest. And there's actually a case where, again, the facts of that defendant's case were not good, right? His particular case, if you were to look at the facts, the things that we're telling you not to do, but if you read the facts of that case, it's violent, right? He did, he bit the officer, he tried to hit him, um, all while trying to resist arrest. But again, we're not looking at the facts So what the Fourth Circuit did is they said, all right, well, we see how this defendant committed his arrest. We can acknowledge that's violent. But what are are some other ways? What is the least culpable conduct? What's the most innocent thing you can do and still get this conviction for resisting arrest? And what they found was that in Maryland, you can be convicted of resisting arrest if you refuse to put your hands behind your back, right? When they're trying to put the handcuffs on you. And that certainly is not violent. No, uh, locking arms, right? Uh, at a protest, laying down, playing dead, right? Yeah. Going limp. All of these are the kinds of conduct that lead to a resisting arrest statute. And for that reason, the Fourth Circuit said, listen, we see how this defendant committed the offense, but we're looking at elements, right? 
And if we can point to a case where somebody was convicted of this offense without using Johnson force, then we know that Johnson force is not an element. So I think the key takeaway here is when we're deciding whether a prior conviction meets the definition of crime of violence or violent felony, looking at the elements clause, right. um, what is the least culpable conduct right. when we're determining whether that element of force exists? Right. Like, what is the most innocent thing I can do and still get a conviction? And if that innocent, the most innocent conduct does not involve the use of force, right, Johnson force, then we can't say it's an element. This idea of like element, we're gonna spend a little bit more time on, but just remember, an element is the necessary part of the offense, right? Think of it this way, in my Maryland resisting arrest case, right? If I told you, Krista, I've got a conviction for Maryland resisting arrest, right? Would you necessarily know that I use physical force, right? Was that a no. part of my plea or my conviction? No, no, right? Because yeah, maybe I did try to run over the police officer with my car, bad, right? But maybe I just, at a protest, refused to put my arms behind my back. Right. And you don't know. And because we're not concerned with facts and we're only looking at elements, the least culpable conduct gives us an example of, well, is force an element? Right. And if it's not, then it doesn't meet the force clause definition. Okay, so we've talked about the analysis for the force clause, but just because something doesn't meet the force clause, we're still not done. That's right, because there's two parts to both definitions, right? Right. Force clause and enumerated. So I think we need to move on to the enumerated. I agree. This wraps up our episode of Sentencing Practice Talk today brought to you by the United States Sentencing Commission. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to check back often for new topics. Sentencing Practice Talk, a regular podcast on federal sentencing issues. Please be advised that information provided by the Commission staff is offered to assist in understanding and applying the sentencing guidelines. The information does not necessarily represent the official position of the Commission, should not be considered definitive, and is not binding upon the Commission, the Court, or the parties in any case. Mm -hmm.